All right. Hi, nerds, and welcome back to House Wine. I am the host. My name is Rachel. I'm a certified sommelier from Toronto. Also, uh, currently broadcasting from a pillow fort in my bedroom. This is my study podcast. This is my study buddy to all aspiring uh, wine nerds, wine enthusiasts, sommeliers, French wine scholars, Italian wine scholars, anyone who is living a life where they drink wine or study wine. This is a podcast for you. Uh, This is my passion project. I put it together every week where we cover a topic together. And this week, I'm very excited to dive back in to Bordeaux. It's always a lot of information when I do the first episode of a series. And I kind of fit the whole history of the region into the first episode. Because until the 17th century, really, the history of Bordeaux didn't really include Medoc. There was no Medoc. So even though last week was all about the Medoc... I felt I had to get the history of the way so we could kind of move on from it. So if you're curious about the history of this week's episode, which is Graves, then I suggest kind of checking out last week's episode first and uh, catching up on the history. All to say most of the history of Bordeaux up until the 17th century really was the history of Graves. These were the wines that people loved, uh, the clarets that popped up in auction houses and coffee houses even when Europe was in the middle of war, because people would take the risk of buying and shipping these wines in the middle of a war zone because they were just that popular. These were the wines, you know, that Thomas Jefferson wrote about in his diaries and used to bring clippings of grapevines back to America in the effort to ignite the same excitement about wine that he had uh, into the American wine trade. Spoiler alert, he failed because of phylloxera. Uh, which is native to North America, and all his vines died. But this was the excitement that the wines of Graves had for so long before they were overshadowed by those four prestigious villages of Medoc. And that is, of course, from north to south, Saint-Estef, Poyac, Saint-Julien, and Margot. The Medoc and Graves are separated by one very large feature, and that is Bordeaux, the actual city of Bordeaux. Medoc is on the north side of the of Bordeaux city, and Graves is on the south side of the city. Uh, if it were not for the city of Bordeaux itself, they would form this sort of large continu- like, continu- continuous, is the word that I'm trying to say, this large continuous strip sort of hugging the side of the Garonne River. Graves was classified in the original classification of 1855. You know the one by now if you listened to last week's episode, like I said. But only one chateau was included, and it was a good one, but still only one. And that is the first growth of Haute-Briand, or Chateau Haute-Briand. Now, they did include sweet wines in the classification, the classification of 1855, that is. And in 1855, they also classified the chateaus of Sauternes and Barsac. And these are sweet wine appellations, so they classified the sweet wines of the area. See, the principal way in which Graves differs from the Maydoc is that in the Maydoc, they make entirely dry red wines. There is no white wine there. The only wines that you will ever drink are made of age-worthy Cabernet Sauvignon dominant wines that make up Maydoc and its communes. There is no classification for any other kind of wine here. South of the city of Bordeaux, in Graves, it gets a little bit more lenient. In the AOP of Graves itself, which can be made anywhere in Graves, 
you can make both red and white wines. And then nestled within Graves are some of the appellations for the best sweet wines of the world. Wines that are affected by that thing that we have talked about before, noble rot, which makes grapes particularly suited to making sweet wines that are both concentrated in sugar and in flavors. Noble rot, or Botrytis cinera, <laughs> likes rivers and it likes moisture. I mean, even though it's a good mold, it's still a mold. With too much moisture, even that good mold can turn into gray rot, which is bad. So it can kind of turn into this dance to try and get the grapes that are good before they turn into bad grapes, which would be gray rot grapes. Very bad. So we talked a lot about the red Bordeaux last episode and those famous appellations uh, where red wines are being made. But now we need to talk about what goes into white wines. What goes into the white wines of Bordeaux? The white grapes of Graves and the greater Bordeaux area around the appellation are Sauvignon Blanc, Semillon, and Muscadelle. And not only do these make up the dry white wines of Graves, but they also make up the grapes that you are allowed to use in sweet wines. I have talked a lot about Sauvignon Blanc on this podcast. I don't think I need to give it an in-depth explanation here, but it comes up over and over again, and I have a whole mini-sode on the Cabernet family, which really goes deep into what these grapes uh, and Sauvignon Blanc specifically taste like, and sort of where it fits into the greater, you know, family of Cabernet grapes. I believe that we also talked about Semillon in the South Africa episode, as this was a grape that was used to make the famous sweet wines of Constantia for most of the early years of the 16th century. Uh, this was a very popular grape at the time, to be sure, but it was also popular all over the world for the production of sweet wines. Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc are genetically similar, uh, but they do not share any of the same parentage, which means that sort of somewhere in the early history of these two grapes being grown in Bordeaux, they were most likely siblings and or cousins. They were somehow related. Semillon is a thin-skinned grape, which means it is uniquely susceptible to noble rot. It also means that it likes to grow in a nice, moderate climate because thin-skinned grapes can often get sunburned uh, if they're exposed to too many daylight hours. When this wine is made in a warmer climate, like in the Hunter Valley in Australia, it will often be picked a little early to keep it from sunburning and from losing its natural acidity. Semillon uh, does not really have the bracing acidity of its partner in crime, Sauvignon Blanc. So when it's vinified on its own, it tends to be a little bit fruitier, at times a little bit more full-bodied on the palate, and with a little bit more of like a waxy and round texture. In Bordeaux, though, it is almost always blended with its partner, Sauvignon Blanc, and with its other partner, which is a grape called Muscadelle. Muscadelle, as many of us have never heard of this grape, is, to be sure, a little bit less popular than Sauvignon Blanc and also Semillon. Muscadelle was thought to be related to the Malvasia grape in Italy, uh, but turns out it is not. If you've listened to the Pinot family tree, I'm like name dropping a lot of my previous episodes this episode, but if you've listened to the Pinot family tree, it kind of fits somewhere in there. 
It's a grape that was derived from a grape called Gouet Blanc. That's an ancient grape and that has really spawned a lot of the great grapes of France. Muscadel is really an aromatic and floral grape, and it's really only ever used to make up a small proportion uh, in the appellations of Graves. So in the blend that is, you know, Sauvignon Blanc, Semillon, and Muscadel, Muscadel usually ever makes up like maybe 5% of that blend. And it's really used in Graves, Graves Superior, Sauternes, Barsac, and Ceron. That's kind of the only place you'll find these, this little grape. So those are the grapes that make up Bordeaux Blanc. But what is Bordeaux Blanc? Well, it is the white wine that they make in Bordeaux, but they do not make in the Medoc because they don't make white wines there. Bordeaux Blanc is really the definitive dry wine of Graves. And the region that lies between the two rivers of the Garonne and the Dordogne called Entre-de-Mer, which is an AOP in its own right. It is a dry white wine that, again, is mostly a blend of these three grapes of Sauvignon Blanc, Semillon, and Muscadel. And the thing that makes it really stick out from the crowd is that much like the red wines of Bordeaux, the whites are treated pretty heavily with oak. Nerd side note. Uh, the barrels that they use to oak their wines in Bordeaux are exactly 225 liters. Uh, and yes, this is important because they are different everywhere and uh, all barrels and all barrel sizes have different names. So in Bordeaux, 225 liters. Back to oaked Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> it's it's an odd one. It's Oaking Sauvignon Blanc makes for a bit of a freaky wine. I'm just going to straight out call it here. I think it's an acquired taste. I've had Bordeaux Blanc. I'm not going to shade Bordeaux Blanc on this podcast. I think it it has a place and it has a time. And there's definitely foods and things that you would want to have Bordeaux Blanc with. But to my taste, it's not the most pleasant wine to have as like a sipping wine just to drink. However, there are tears to Bordeaux Blanc. A less expensive Bordeaux Blanc will have seen less oak and will drink much more like a run-of-the-mill Sauvignon Blanc than it will anything else. The more expensive Bordeaux Blancs, you know, the Bordeaux Blanc produced by Chateau Aubriand, for example, are heavily, heavily oaked. And oaking Sauvignon Blanc really brings out the green flavors of Sauvignon Blanc. And so you get this really, really, really intense balm of greenness with the spice and herbaceousness of oak. It's it's a sensation, but Bordeaux is not the only place in the world that does this. This style was also copied uh, in Napa by Robert Mondavi, where they call it Fumé Blanc, but it's just a Sauvignon Blanc that's been oaked. Uh, they don't blend it in Napa. They always tend to blend it in Bordeaux. But again, you can't say... People don't like this wine because clearly people do. It's a style that's copied all over the world. It's just not necessarily the wine for me. That said, try it. Make up your own mind. So in the appellation of Graves, that is Graves AOP, they make Bordeaux Blanc, a white wine that's oaked. And they make red wine there too. But in Graves, in basic Graves AOP, they do not make any sweet wine. So of course, this being France, they had to make up a whole other appellation for that. This appellation uh, is within the exact same borders and delimitations of Graves, but it's specifically for sweet wine. And that appellation is called Graves Superior AOP. These wines are like baby sauternes, which we'll talk about what that is in a moment. 
But they're sweet wines that are Botrytis-affected. They do have some concentration of fruit and density, and they don't have the price tag of Sauternes or even Barsac or Sarans, which are the appellations that we're about to talk about. Don't panic. These wines, the Graves Superior wines, are harvested in tries, making sure that they get the best grapes for noble rot wines. But they can also be made in the passeriage style. That's passeriage, P-A-S-S-E-R-I-L-L-A-G, which means that they're dried on the vine and left to hang past harvest as opposed to affected by noble rot. Both ways are great for making sweet wine. Noble rot sort of brings an extra juge, uh, if you will, <laughs> to sweet wines. But you can definitely make uh, concentrated sweet wines using the passeriage method. So before we just like dive in to the sweet wine classifications and the sweet wines of Graves, I think I think I, I already mentioned, but we should just make a point and say that in the 1855 classification of the Medoc and Graves, there was one first growth of which there are only five in the world, that is in Graves, and that is the Chateau Aubriand. Uh, this was the only one of the great houses of the 1855 classification to be elevated from the Graves region for dry wine. This said, they did include Graves in the 1855 classification, and the part of Graves that they did incorporate was mostly their sweet wines uh, from Barsac and Sauterne. The part of Graves which houses Aubriand, however, has changed names since the original classification. Now it is its own appellation and it's called Pesac Leonian, which was upgraded to AOP status in 1987. A terrible year for wine, an excellent year for Star Trek. It was the year that Star Trek The Next Generation came out, but this is not a Star Trek podcast. This is a wine podcast. Uh, Pesac Leonian was singled out and made into its own AOP. Uh, due to the natural terracing that occurs in the region, where you can visibly see sediment from different geological areas. There's oh, areas, eras, geological eras. There is also lots of gravel here, which, as you know, is key for the production of red wine in this area and also all over the Medoc. Cabernet Sauvignon loves gravel, though they do, obviously, in the tradition of graves, make white wine in Pesac Leonian. This is where really a lot of your more quality dry wines of Graves are coming from. And when this appellation was made, it took that coveted first growth away from its original appellation, which was Graves, and now Aubriant is technically part of Pesac Leonian. Make sense? Now let's talk sweet wines. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so like I said, sweet wines were also part of the 1855 classification, and there are three appellations from north to south along the Garonne River that make up the sweet wine appellations of Graves, aside from Graves Superior AOP, because that is the whole area of Graves. So in the north, you have Serons, which is C-E-R-O-N-S. You have Barsac in the middle. B-A-R-S-A-C, and then you have Sauternes, which probably a lot of people have heard of, but that is S-A-U-T-E-R-N-E-S. Serons is the northernmost appellation of these three little appellations that sit right along the Garonne River. However, it has no classified growths for sweet wine within it. It's just uh, kind of hanging out 
doing its thing. They make a lot of sweet wine there, but they don't have any classified chateaus. But like its neighbors, Barsac and Sauternes, it's harvested in tries. They pick all the Botrytis-affected grapes individually off the vine, or if they're not getting a lot of Botrytis, they use passerage, where they just let them dry out on the vine so they get that nice concentrated sugar, and then they make a very high-quality sweet wine out of it. And because they don't have any classified growths, you can actually find some pretty decent value wines coming out of the Serran AOP. Now, Barsac, which is in the very middle, is an appellation in its own right though it gets a little confusing, not surprisingly, because it's also considered to be a commune of Sauternes. So it does have classified chateaus within it, but Barsac can be called Sauternes. It's part of the AOP rules here in Barsac that producers can choose to label their wines made from the Barsac commune as Sauternes, which I think really begs the question for me anyways, why would you name your wine Barsac at all when Sauternes is the appellation that has the international cred for being the best sweet wine in the entire world? It would seem counterintuitive to be like, no, let's label it the thing no one's ever heard of, as opposed to the thing everyone's heard of. So there are wines out there that are labeled Barsac. There definitely are. However, they could have probably called them Sauternes legally, and nobody would have thought anything about it. It's, uh, yeah, I, every once in a while you come across these things in French wine law, any wine law really, where just kind of the, like these little open-ended things where it's like, you can use the term Grand Cru or not. And you're like, well, why wouldn't you? So that's one of those things. You can use the term Barsac or you can use the term Sauternes, but I mean, if it were me and I wanted to make money, I would probably just call all my wine Sauternes. So this leads nicely into our next appellation, which is the one and the only, the best of the best of the sweet wines in the world, and that is Sauternes, arguably the king of all sweet wines. And I await the challenges in my inbox. There is a river that runs between Sauternes and Barsac that makes this region especially prone to noble rot. And that is the Ciron River. So you had Ciron, which was the Appalachian. And then we have a river called Ciron. C-I-R-O-N. I know, it gets confusing. Mists that come off where the Ciron and the Garon meet is what makes this such a special place and why you get this great mold that makes amazing sweet wines. The morning fog brings moisture into the communes that make up Sauternes, which aside from Barsac, we already know, there are three other communes. There's one called Pregniac, Bohmes, which I find that word very fun to say, Bohmes, B-O-M-M-E-S, and Farg, F-A-R-G-U-E-S. Now, Sauternes is the main AOP that got the majority of classifications for sweet wine in the 1855 classification of the Madoc and Graves. I've said that a lot of times. And the sweet wine classification has three tiers. The first tier, which is called Superior First Growth, only has one chateau in it. So it's like one chateau to rule them all. And that is Chateau Chem, 
Y-Q-U-E-M. And like I said, it's the only wine that got the designation Superior First Growth for Sweet Wines. And though it may seem unfair, it's actually pretty well deserved. This is by far one of the most premium producers of sweet wine in the entire world. Though in certain vintages, they do make a dry wine, uh, a Bordeaux Blanc, which they just call Y. That's how you say the letter Y in French. Uh, but there are some standouts here, like Chateau La Tour Blanche, which is in Baumes. You have Chateau Climans, which is in Barsac. And of course, Chateau Giraud, which is in Sauternes itself. There are many, many more, but these are some of the ones that I've seen on my market and had the pleasure of trying. They're very delicious. They sort of sit in the same, not quite the same tier as Chateau Dicam, but a very high tier of sweet wines. And they have a very, very long ageability. Sweet wine, because the sugar also acts as a preservative, can last a very, very long time. And all three of these chateaus are part of the second tier of classification, which is just called first growths. So it's a little bit confusing. The second tier is called first growths. The first tier is called superior first growths. And then the third tier is called second growths. So beneath that classification, the second growths, uh, unlike the wines of Maydoc, it just stops there. You had just have superior first growths, first growths, which are second growths, and second growths, which are actually third growths. Because they are harvesting all the wines here in tries, which means, you know, you go out into the vineyard, you pick the best grapes with the best noble rot, you wait a day, you go out, you pick the best grapes with the best noble rot, so on and so forth. They are very dependent on the formation of noble rot. And the wines of Sauternes and its accompanying communes are very much prone to vintage variation. Basically, they do not get the same amount or the same quality of noble rot from year to year. So there are years where some of the best houses won't even make a wine. For example, 1992 and 2012 were so bad and there was so little noble rot that Chateau de Chem declared they were not even going to bother making wine. Because many of the grapes uh, molded and turned to gray rot before they could even get the desired amount of sugar, they needed to make their premium sweet wines. That said, if you ever see a vintage of 1990, grab it, but you probably won't because it will be sitting in the cellars of wine collectors for another 50 years to come. It was one of the best. And that's why Sautern is so expensive. It's so expensive because you need the manpower to pick grape by grape. You don't even get the grapes half the time. And there's a real rolling of the dice when it comes to making these sweet wines and seeing how they go. It's a little bit of, you know, manipulation in the vineyard, but a lot of it is sort of left up to nature. And so that's kind of why these wines will command really high prices. Um, yeah, if you have a bottle of Chateau de Chem, don't open it now. Wait till after quarantine and call me. We'll drink some sweet wine together. All that said, Graves, back to Graves, Graves reclassified its wines outside of the classification of 1855 in 1959. So down the road, you may hear someone mention one day the 1959 classification of Graves. But this had really nothing to do with the sweet wines and really only to do with the dry wines of what is now Pesac Leonian and Graves AOP. They were feeling a little bit left out, 
having only one dry wine from the original 1855 classification. Uh, though if you're going to have just one, Oak Briand in the first growth is a pretty good one to have. So they went back and they reclassified some of their dry wine chateaus, and now you can find those too. And that's really what you need to know about Graves in a nutshell. If you are going to go out and try a Bordeaux Blanc and see if Oak de Sauvignon Blanc is your thing, power to you. I encourage you in that case to <laughs> scroll down, like, rate, subscribe, leave a comment on this podcast because it is 100% independent. It is a labor of wine studying love that I do every week. And leaving a rating and review is the best way you can support the show. The real best way you can support the show, though, is to tell a friend that you love to drink wine with about it. If you spot a correction or something that you just are dying to tell me about, you can contact this podcast at housewinepodcast at gmail.com. You can also check me out on Instagram at housewinepodcast. Instagram. My personal Instagram is Rachel Picard. That's R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And then Picard like the captain. And the art is done by Kelly Lauren. She's on Instagram too. K-L-Y-L-A-U-R-E-N. Like I said, if you get a hold of some Chateau Dechem, save it, call me, and I'll see you next week for our final installment of Bordeaux, which is The Right Bank. Oh, it's going to be so juicy, juicy like Merlot. Have a great week, guys. Thank you.